Let's take God's word and open it now, please, if you would, with me to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 3. If you've been here with us for a while, you know that we are in a series of messages just taking a journey through this incredible letter that God has given to us in his word, Hebrews. It is a reminder that Jesus is better. He's better than anything else, anyone else, and we should never settle for less. And so we'll continue that journey this morning. We're looking at Hebrews chapter 3, and we're going to be reading verses 7 through 19, 7 through 19. We've just sung about lifting our voice to the Lord until our voice is gone. And today, God's word is a message for us about his voice speaking to us, his voice speaking to us. And so I want you to turn to Hebrews 3. You'll find that on page 1002 in your Bibles. And also, if you want to be ready, we'll be turning in just a few minutes and looking back at the 17th chapter of Exodus, Exodus chapter 17. If you're using your Bibles, I think that's found, uh, that's prov- provided there. That's found on page 59, 59. But now we'll read together Hebrews chapter 3, beginning at verse 7. And if you are uh, able, please encourage you just to stand just for a few moments as we read God's Word, if you're able to do that. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take heed, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see they were unable to enter because of unbelief. The word of the Lord. Now, Father, bless to our hearts your word. And help us as we have lifted our voice to you. To hear as you speak with your voice to us. Speak by your Holy Spirit. Speak by your word. And, oh, Lord, yes, speak through this very frail and very weak messenger today. Oh, Lord, may we hear and may we obey. And may you do great and powerful things through your word. And God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Now, you know, sometimes it is funny, it's frustrating, but funny sometimes if you're with someone who maybe they are not really hard of hearing, but they just don't listen to you as they ought to. You know anybody like that? Please don't look around right now if you do that. (laughs) 
My, my father was notorious for that. And we used to really uh, have some fun with that when I was growing up. He was legendary for being distracted. <laughs> and I am his son, okay? One time we were talking about something as a family in the, in the kitchen. My dad was sitting there eating a bowl of ice cream. And uh, the conversation was going on, and all of a sudden, Dad thought he knew what was being said, and he looked at all of us, and he said, ice milk, <laughs> ice milk. And that became just a little saying like, when you're not paying attention, you're not getting it, ice milk, ice milk. We got that from Dad. We still say it today. You know, I'll be drifting off. Susan will say, ice milk. I say, okay, boom, all right. <laughs> I'm back in. Not long ago, there was an elderly couple. They were going to uh, visit in Nashville, visit some relatives. And they were on their way back. They got to uh, Cookville, and they stopped to fill up their car with gas. And uh, while the man was filling up his car, his wife was in the car, another man pulled up at the pump next to him. And he started filling up his tank. And this man was sort of a gregarious, outgoing man. And he, he said to him, hey, where you been? He said, oh, we've, we've been to Nashville to visit relatives. And his wife said, what did he say? He asked where we've been. I told him we've been to Nashville to visit relatives. She said, oh. And then the man said, nice car you've got there. Oh, yeah, thank you. We're, we're very grateful for it. What, what did he say? He, he asked and said, we had a nice car. I, I told him we were grateful. Oh. And then the man said, well, um, where do you live? And he said, oh, we're from Knoxville. We're heading back to Knoxville. And he said, are you from Knoxville? He said, you know, I work with a woman from Knoxville. She is undoubtedly the meanest, most ill-tempered, most unkind person I've ever met in my life. And the wife said, what did he say? And the man said, he said he knows your sister. <laughs> well... Sometimes it is, it is somewhat funny when we're distracted and we're, we're not following along as we ought to be. But you know, there, with all seriousness, one thing is not funny is when we're not paying attention to God. That's not funny at all, is it? It's never, never a funny thing when we don't listen to God. Now, Hebrews is a book that's about the God who speaks. It starts with chapter 1, verse 1, that says that God spoke and he has spoken in these days he's the God who speaks and so if he is the God who speaks that means he is the God who wants to be heard not only that he wants to be heard that he expects to be heard as well and so this morning as we're thinking about the God who speaks we we need to recognize that the Bible says that God has spoken to us in the most infinite and the most personal way. He has spoken to us through His Son. He has spoken to us through Jesus. And what a spokesperson He is for God. Wouldn't you agree? What a spokesperson. He's greater than the prophets. Verse 1, chapter 1. He's greater than the prophets. He's, he's a greater spokesperson than any of the angels, Michael or Gabriel. And the writer talks about that beginning at chapter 1, verse number 4, all the way through chapter 2. And then in chapter 3, he mentions the great hero of Israel, that's Moses, the great emancipator, the great lawgiver. And the writer says, Jesus is greater than Moses. He's greater than Moses. Now, in referring to Moses, the writer of Hebrews gives a challenge. 
He's giving a challenge and he's giving a warning. He is saying that the God who spoke to Moses and the God who spoke through Moses was not heard, was, he was not followed and heeded by the people of Israel. God spoke. He spoke through a deliverer who brought the people out of bondage, offered them a new land, but the people would not listen to the deliverer, Moses, and it just brought them disaster. They were not allowed to enter the place of rest because they would not listen to God through his spokesperson. They weren't allowed to enter the promised land, the land of Canaan. Now that writer's challenge here, the writer of Hebrews' challenge is this. It's a challenge and a warning. If the people of Israel who would not listen to a human spokesperson for God so that they failed to enter God's rest, how much more serious is it then if people will not listen to the Son of God, the Word Himself, who is the ultimate deliverer and He brings eternal life, if people will not listen to Jesus, how terrible it is that if they turn back from Jesus, they're turning back to disaster. They're turning back to find no rest ever. If you turn back from Jesus, you're turning back from the promised land. You're turning back from the only rest there is. And the result is no rest forever. So there's a warning here this morning. It's one of the warnings that are interspersed through the book of Hebrews. It's a warning about three things. It's a warning about closed ears, hardened hearts, restless souls. And that's the order in which this warning flows. A warning about closing our ears, which can lead to a hardening of our hearts, which leads to a restless soul. Now let's look at this this morning. First of all, seeing that in giving this warning, the writer here, by the Holy Spirit's inspiration, gives a historical illustration. A historic illustration. Notice, if you look at verse 7, down through verse 11, and then verse 16 through verse 19, the, the message is bookend here by a story, an illustration from the history of Israel. Now, the writer here in Hebrews is quoting Scripture. You'll notice in many of your translations there's quotation marks. He's quoting Psalm 95. But in reality, though he's quoting Psalm 95, Psalm 95 and the writer of Hebrews is they're citing something that happened in the life of Israel. They're citing an, an event that happened. And that event is found in Exodus chapter 17. Now, I ask you to be ready, and if you'd like to turn there, please. Exodus chapter 17, again, if you'd like to use the Bible provided for you, page 59. But I think it's important for us to read the story to understand the historic illustration if we're going to understand how it applies to us today. Now, here's what happened in Exodus chapter 17. Verse 1, all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. 
And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? And Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. You shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders. And he called the name of that place Massah and Meribah, which means testing. It means testing and quarreling. He called it Massah and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Now, this is just not reasonable doubt. We can understand thirst. We can understand their need of water. But this goes way beyond doubt. What this is, according to the Scriptures, this was a people accusing the Lord. Accusing the Lord that He had only brought them and their children, their livestock out, to let them die in the wilderness. Now, think about that. To, to, see, to see how grievous a rebellion this is, think of the provision that God had made for these people and was making for them. They had seen it with their own eyes. They had seen the plagues on Egypt. They had known what it meant for their houses to be passed over when death came through all the nation of Egypt. And they were passed over because the blood of the Lamb was on their door. They had experienced this. They had experienced the Red Sea parting in front of them. They'd gone through on dry land and they had watched as the army of Egypt was destroyed when God brought the floods back upon them. They had seen manna, food on the ground that God had provided they had seen, and think of it, that very moment they were seeing the cloudy pillar of God right in front of them. A fiery cloud to guide them at night and a cloud to shade them by day. The very presence of God and His provision and yet the people rebelled. Time and time again they did this. Not just once, not just this account, but they did this time and time again until it came to a culmination when finally they reached the border of the land of Canaan, the land that God had promised to them. God commanded 12 spies to go in and bring back a report. And you remember, the 12 spies came back Ten of them gave a discouraging, faithless report saying, we can't take these people. We cannot any way enter into this land. Why, they are huge. They are giants. We look like grasshoppers next to them. But two of the men gave a faith-filled report. Who were they? Joshua and Caleb. They didn't measure the giants to themselves, they measured the giants to the God of Israel and the giants didn't measure up. And they said, come on in. 
The Lord has given us this land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. He will drive out these people before us. He will give us this land. But the people rejected their faith-filled report and believed the report of the other ten. And they began to weep and wail and cry out and talk about stoning Moses And God had had enough. He said, that's it. This generation of adults will not enter this land. Every adult 20 years and older, other than Joshua and Caleb, all the adults 20 years and older will not enter this land, turn back into the wilderness. And they had to turn back from the land of promise. And what happened? They experienced a 40-year funeral procession. As they wound their way for 40 years through the wilderness until almost a million people had been buried in the sands. God said, you will not enter my rest Because you did not believe, you rejected my provision, you rejected all the evidence of what I'd done for you, you rejected me. You will not enter this rest. Now, why is that story important? Why is it being cited here in our text? And turn back to Hebrews chapter 3. Why is this what is being cited? Because there is a timeless application. There's a timeless application. A timeless application in the first century in which this was written. Who was this letter written to? It was written to Jewish people who had professed faith in Jesus as Messiah. They had professed faith. But now it was so hard and so difficult, so challenging. And many of them were longing to go back. Why should we go on in this hardship, in this difficulty? Why should we do this? They're tempted to go back. They're thinking about going back. Some are starting to turn back and go back under that old legalistic religion. And the writer says, you can't do this. You can't turn back you will be just like your forefathers if you turn back from Christ, if you turn back from our Deliverer after what He has done for us, if you turn back, you will turn back to a wilderness of lifeless wandering, no rest for your souls ever. That's what He is saying. But friends, that was written in the Scriptures not just for the first century, I'd say it's for the 21st century as well, wouldn't you? And all the centuries, if there are any more, until Jesus comes. And it will be forever enshrined in heaven because it's God's eternal word. It's a warning. What is the warning here? Listen carefully. It is a warning to people who profess. They profess belief in Jesus. But they're not listening to God's voice. They profess to believe in Jesus. But they turn to go their own way in their own wisdom. Now there's a threefold warning here. I want you to see there's a threefold warning that the writer gives. And it's timeless to everyone who professes faith in Jesus. Number one, it's a warning about closed ears. It's a warning about closed ears. It's warning about being a person who won't listen. A person who won't listen to God. Now, not a person who struggles with doubt. We all do that. Uh, Not a person who, who disobeys 
from time to time who falls and staggers and strays away. We are all a part of that. But this is a warning for those who will not listen to the Lord. It's not about struggling. It's not even about unbelief per se. It, just so you'll understand, it's more this. Let's use this word. It's not unbelief. It's disbelief. It's intentional. It's intentionally not listening to the one we know is truth himself. It is intentionally not listening to the one who yielded himself on the cross for our sins. It is intentionally not listening to the one who loves us and gave himself for us. This is disbelief. And there's a reason for the disbelief. Why do people choose to disbelieve Jesus? They choose disbelief so that they can live in disobedience. Disobedience. It's like this. People who profess faith in Jesus. It's like this. Maybe not said out loud, though I've heard it said out loud hundreds and hundreds of times. But it's like this. I know what the Lord says. I know what the Bible says. But. But I. Now just fill in the blank. I know what the Lord says. I know what I've been taught from scriptures. I know what the scriptures say. But I. Now think about that. The Lord says this. My master says this. My savior who suffered for me says this. But I have a different plan. You see, friends, listen. In reality, our hearing problem is an I problem. Capital I. I. We hear, but what we know is being said doesn't agree with what we want. And so what happens is I, I will choose my way. Closed ears. Won't listen. What does that produce? It doesn't stop there. You see, think, people say, well, I just won't listen. I know what the Bible says, but I just, right now, I just don't want to listen to that. I've got my season. God understands. I, he understands. I'm not going to listen to what he says. So we close our ears, but my friend, something else happens when we close our ears. That is, we have hardened hearts. Hardened hearts. You see, closed ears means you won't hear. Listen carefully. You know what a hardened heart means? It means you can't hear. Won't listen. Now, can't hear. What happens? There's a dullness of God's voice. God's voice used to be very clear. You were sensitive to God's voice. You heard, you obeyed. You knew His will. You wanted to do His will. There, that was the way it was. But now I, I, has taken over. And now there's a dullness to God's voice. I just don't, I don't hear Him like I used to. I, I, I'm, his voice isn't what it used to be to me. Friend, let me tell you about something about God's voice. God's voice is a life-giving voice. Well, when, we, when we turn away from God's voice, we're turning away from life itself. Did you ever think about this? The book of Genesis, how does it begin? It says, and God what? And God said, let there be light. 
And God said, let the firmament be formed. And God said, let the waters recede. God said, let the dry land appear. God said, let the earth bring forth vegetation. God said, let the animals roam the earth. God said, let the birds fly through the air. God's voice is a life-giving voice. We think that God's voice is a legalism-giving voice. We think that God's voice, sometimes the enemy tells us God's voice is to keep us from enjoying life. But friends, His voice is a life-giving voice. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. God's voice is a life-giving voice. And when we turn away from God's voice, we're turning away from life itself. We're turning to death. There's a dullness to God's voice. God's voice is muffled sometimes. It's muffled by other voices. We come to a place where we listen to other voices before God's voice. Other sounds take charge. One day a man from the mountains outside of Knoxville, lived up in the mountains, came to visit his brother here in Knoxville. And his brother wanted to show his brother who was the mountain guy what was happening down Knoxville. So he took him downtown Knoxville, showed him the resurgence, showed him the new building, showed him the expansion, all the things that were happening. And they're walking down the streets of Knoxville with all the loud noise and the honking of horns and the voices, everything that's going on, and all of a sudden, the brother from the mountain said, Stop. You hear that? What? Don't you hear that? What are you talking about? There it is. There it is. And he bends down and picks up a cricket. A cricket. And his brother looks at him in amazement and says, How in the world did you hear a cricket and all of this din of noise? And the brother smiled at him. He reached in his pocket. He took out two dimes and dropped them on the sidewalk. And immediately people stopped everywhere, turned around. Looking, where were those coins? And the brother from the mountain said to his brother, You hear what you're listening for. That's what you hear. Some of us don't hear the God's voice the way we used to, it's muffled by the clanging of coins. We don't hear his voice. Because the sounds of our career are muffling his voice. Some of us don't hear his voice the way we used to because other people's voices are louder to us. His voice is more important to me than his voice right now. Her voice is more important. My friend's voices are more important to me than his voice. Dullness. What voice do you hear above all voices? What voice is the most important voice to you? What sounds capture your attention what what sound when you hear it and you hear it in your spirit it captures you for some sad people here 
It's been so long since you've been in this building and the songs are being sung and it's been so long since your spirit just rose. Closed ears. We won't listen. That brings hardened hearts where you can't hear a dullness to God's voice. And you know what that can bring? That can bring a deadness. Not just that God's voice is dull, but it's we can't hear His voice at all. There's a deadness. We, we just don't feel anything anymore. We don't, we don't hear anything from God. It's a self-induced judgment. Did you know that? When we refuse to hear God's voice, we are bringing on ourselves a self-induced judgment. It's like this. Jesus talked about it. One of the strangest things Jesus ever said. I struggled with this for years to try to interpret it. It's when Jesus was teaching in parables. Constantly, parable after parable after parable. And finally, his disciples said, Why do you teach us only in parables? You know what Jesus said? Here's what he said. I speak to you in parables so that those who say they hear will not hear. And those who say they see will not see. What does that mean? It means Jesus spoke in parables so that people who were just playing games of religion, people who were not serious to understand deep spiritual truths, people who just wanted a veneer of religion, they would not be able to understand what he was saying. They would hear, but they wouldn't be able to hear. They're bringing a judgment on themselves. It's like God saying this, So you think you hear, you say you hear, but you won't listen to my voice, okay? You won't hear my voice anymore. I won't bother you. And my friend, that's a very sad place to be. A very sad place to be. You see, here is the message If we do not listen to God's voice, we will eventually be unable to hear God's voice. If we won't listen to God's voice, we will eventually be unable to hear God's voice. Closed ears lead to hardened hearts, which leads to a restless soul. A soul without rest. It leads to a destiny. It leads to a destiny. The people of Israel could not enter their rest. They could not enter the Canaan land because they would not hear. They would not listen. They rebelled, so God said, You rebellious people will not enter the rest that I've provided for you. Now, what is the rest for a believer? What is our rest? Listen carefully. In this passage, make sure you interpret it rightly. The rest here is not talking about heaven. The rest is not heaven. The rest here is Christ himself. He is our rest. He himself is the rest for our souls. We enter into him in faith and we experience salvation and the new life in him. And he is our rest. What did he say? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you what? Rest. You will find rest for your souls. Jesus is our rest. Yes, we're going to heaven, and heaven will be incredibly wonderful, but guess what? Heaven wouldn't be heaven at all if Jesus wasn't there. It's Jesus that makes heaven heaven. 
Where we're going is not going to heaven. We're going to Jesus. And He is our heaven. He is our rest. To turn a deaf ear to Christ is to turn back from Christ and to turn away from life, rest for our souls to a restless existence now and forever. You know what the Bible says about the souls that are damned in hell? It says this, they have no rest day or night no rest this passage is timeless timeless applications but right now it says today today is the day to listen because there are eternal ramifications the stakes could not be higher friends God's voice is a life-giving voice. And when we follow His voice, we follow Christ. There's life, life, life. But if we do not, if we turn away from the Lord, we turn away from life itself. Look at verse 12. Look at what he said. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, disbelieving heart. Leading you to fall away from whom? The living God. Our life is in God. Beware lest our evil disbelief leads us astray from the living God. We need to heed these warnings. We need to heed these warnings. Look at verse 13. We need to heed these warnings relationally. We need to encourage each other about these things. Verse 13. But exhort one another every day. Exhort means to challenge. To challenge everyone, everyone, one another every day as long as it's called today. That none of you may be what? Hardened by the deceitfulness. That's deception. Your friend is deceived. He doesn't know he's deceived. That's what deceived means. If you know you're deceived, guess what? You're not deceived. Somebody has to tell you, you're, not de you're deceived. You're messed up. You're going the wrong way. Let me help you. We need to help each other. We're all prone to wander. We need someone to say, you're off course, brother. This is not the right way, sister. You know what the first question any human being ever asks in the Bible? Do you know what the first question any human being asks? Here's the question. Am I my brother's keeper? God said, Cain, where's your brother Abel? Am I my brother's keeper? Yeah. Murderer. What's the answer to that question? Am I my brother's keeper? What's the, what's the answer? Yes, you are. You're your brother's keeper. You're your brother's keeper. Will we be silent? When we see loved ones, people that we care, brothers or sisters, who are headed away that we know is going to destruction, are we just going to say, well, you know, hey, uh, who am I to judge? Who am I to judge? You don't have to be the judge. Just say what the judge says. Amen. He's already spoken about it. You don't have to judge anybody. Just say this is what the judge says. I'm just telling you. Unless somebody do that to you. <laughs> Before you tell somebody, hey, you got a little sawdust in your eye. Guess what? Big old telephone pole in your own. Now, deal with it, and then, yeah, you can help your brother. Will we encourage and exhort one another to godliness? Will we? You know something? I'm not on Facebook. And, I, and there's not a reason I'm not on Facebook other than I just don't want to be on Facebook. I just, quite frankly, I just, I, it's wonderful. Now, I'm, 
I can get on Facebook, I'm behind Susan. That's where I am. I'm around. Okay, I'm around. But I'm, I'm not on Facebook, but I'm around, okay? And I love seeing some of the things and reading some of the posts and great pictures and life happening. It's just wonderful. I think Facebook is great. Just make sure your face is in the book, okay? Just make sure of that. Facebook is great. But you know what? On a number of occasions, it so grieved me. Someone will have something on their Facebook page. It is as far from the things of God as you can imagine. They'll post something that's hateful, judgmental, maybe something that's off-color, worldly, or maybe they'll just go on a rant. And then there's a little place here that says comments. You ever seen that? And you click on it, and then you see people who profess to be followers of Jesus and brothers and sisters in Christ who will affirm or encourage that which God says is wrong. You know, there's something else on Facebook. I think it's called, what's it called? Private Messenger? What's it called? Something like that. Don't go public. Go private. Say, can we talk? Or maybe that would be the best way. Can we talk? Because you've just put something out there before God and the whole world that you need to hear what the Lord says about that. So those are my friends. Those are my friends. How could I do that? What's the Bible say? Faithful are the what? Wounds of a friend. But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. The Bible says, let a friend slap me, correct me, and it is a kindness to me. Listen, dear friend. When somebody loves you enough to come tell you that there is an issue in your life, you better cling to that person. That's a precious gift from Jesus Christ. But when someone will say everything's okay and they pat you on the back when you know in here it's not, be careful, that person. A real friend will tell you not what you want to hear, but what? What you need to hear. Heed these warnings relationally. Heed them personally. There's a gripping word here. A gripping word. What is it? Verse 15. Today. Today. As is it said, today if you hear his voice. Today if you hear his voice. Oh, it may be a whisper. It, it may be so faint you can barely hear it. But today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. That is a grace of God. That is the kindest voice in the universe. The voice of your Savior speaking to you. Don't harden your heart. Today, if you hear His voice, right now, right now, not tomorrow, not think about it, not consider it, right now, if you're hearing His voice, respond. Right now, today, and then, friends, do that every day. And don't let yourself be deceived. Verse 14, for we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. How do you know if you really have a share in Christ? Are you perfect? No. Are you sinless? Not even close. Do you never mess up? Oh no, what a joke. But you know that you have truly come to share in Christ if you hold on to your original confidence. What's your confidence? Your confidence is in Christ. 
And you won't let go of Him. You cling to the cross. You pour out your heart to Jesus. You confess your sins. And again and again and again. And you fall down and you crawl back to Jesus. And you go astray and you come back to Christ. And you cry out and you will not leave Him. Where else can you go? He has the words of life. Though He slays me, I will praise Him. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none on earth I desire beside you. Nothing in my hand I bring. What? Simply to your cross I cling. But that's a Christian. A Christian keeps clinging and holding and clinging to Jesus and will not forsake Him. You know what? When we follow His voice, we find our rest. <laughs> Those Israelites, they could have been there in a few weeks and found their rest, but they wouldn't follow His voice. Where do we find our rest? Our rest is Jesus. Augustine said this, a great Christian of the 4th century. Here's his prayer. Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. There's no rest in money. There's no rest in position. There's no rest in fame. There's no rest in success. There's no rest in any human relationship. And those all have their place. But the ultimate rest is in the Lord who is our rest. Our hearts are restless until it rests in Him.